0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families that are living through childhood cancer. You will hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will encourage your family during this journey. Well, Christy, we are just marching on quickly through this year. It's already mid-November. We're only like a week and a half away from a Thanksgiving dinner. I
1: know. Is it just me or did it feel like 2020 was like eternal and 2021 has been like a snapshot?
0: Yeah, it's gone super fast. You know, what is it they say that uh, time flies when you're having fun and 2021 has certainly been way more fun than what 2020 was, especially since we got to do retreats, get to the beach, serve families and just love on so many different people. I wonder what that means 2022 is going to look like.
1: Oh, way better. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I
0: hope so. It has to.
1: Well, right now, we are in the process of mailing out all of our Advent calendars to those families you were just talking about. I'm always so excited to hear about, like, the fun new traditions that these calendars inspire the families that we serve.
0: I know. Christmas, this is your season, Christy. This is, like, the time. I mean, literally, in the next week and a half, Christmas lights are going up. You're already seeing in parking lots all the Christmas trees. Every store for the last couple weeks has already started to put Christmas stuff out. So it is just that fun season that, that we're just getting super excited about everything that's coming with all the kids and, you know, gifts and celebrating so much fun.
1: Yeah, it's my favorite time of the year, and today we are going to get to talk to one of my favorite guests that, honestly, I think we've ever had. We are going to have a conversation today with Dr. Upshaw, Nadira Upshaw. She's a pediatric psychologist at CHOA, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Um, and actually, if I'm being super accurate, her full title is Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Emory University School of Medicine and pediatric psychologist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta in the Aflac Cancer and Blood Disorders Center. How
0: does she fit that on a card? I
1: don't know. <laughs> but her educational background is just as impressive. She received her Bachelor's of Science in Child and Family Development and minor in Biology from UGA. Go dogs. Every time, you gotta say it. And in 2010, her doctor, she got her Doctorate in Clinical Psychology, specializing in child and family from the Georgia School of Professional Psychology in 2017. So she completed her internship at Children's Hospital Colorado in 2016, and then she completed her year one postdoctoral fellowship at John Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Kennedy Krieger Institute. I mean, that's a lot. But then she kept going for her postdoctoral fellowship year, two. She worked at Emory University School of Medicine and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Whew. Whew, I got through that. She's seriously impressive. Um, Dr. Upshaw's not all work and no play, though. She's actually, she's a rare Atlanta yeah, native. Yeah,
0: that's not, that's not the norm.
1: She calls herself a homegrown organic peach, which I love. <laughs> I love that. She's a big fan of her hometown, loving the culture, the food, the diversity here of Atlanta. She loves spending time with her family and friends with home-cooked meals playing games going to festivals and concerts she's a Beyonce fan Um, she loves to travel also Dr. Opshaw is very engaged in social justice and advocacy work at Emory and in the community and in the middle of all that good stuff when she does get a little downtime for herself she really likes to watch mindless reality tv and cook new recipes So she's pretty amazing all around.
0: She is, and she probably finds some time to watch those Georgia football games on the weekend. (laughs)
1: Probably, yes.
0: Yeah, super impressive. Uh, So yeah, she is such a powerhouse, and we're actually going to have her for two episodes. But this first conversation we had with her is about the role a psychologist can play in your family's childhood cancer journey. So let's check out our conversation with her.
1: Hey, Dr. Upshaw, thanks for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. Can we just start with you giving us an overview of your job, what you do, and how you fit in with a medical team um, for care?
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm a pediatric psychologist, um, which is really a fancy term for saying that I'm a psychologist who has training in clinical psychology and then even more specialization in child and family, psychology, and even more specialization in that I enjoy working with kids with acute and chronic illnesses and injuries. Um, So people like me typically work in some kind of medical setting, whether that's a hospital or a physician's office, um, anything where kids are interfacing with the healthcare system. Um, And I fit in as a part of the team, um, and this is probably my favorite part of my job, is that I do have a team that I get to work with um, because my role is to focus specifically on how are our kids coping and just managing the day-to-day stress of having a chronic illness or injury. And in this case, um, it's pediatric cancer. That's a life changing, um, diagnosis. And so I focus on, how do I help cancer be a part of your life, but not all of your life? Yeah. And help you have good quality of life during this time? Um but certainly i I work with an entire team, including the medical team, but also our social workers, our child life specialists, our school teachers. I mean, there's an abundance of people that kind of all partner together um, to help our kids get better.
1: I love wow. everything you do right
0: yeah how many how many of you are there? Uh, where you're at with the hospital you're at
2: that's a great question so we have the largest group of pediatric psychologists here in our our athletic cancer and blood disorder center there might i think there's like eight or nine of us psychologists um we all do different Things Um, And we also have a pediatric psychotherapist that works here as well. Um, But we all do different things. Some of us do more research, some of us work with specific populations clinically, whether that's sickle cell disease or brain tumors, etc. So there's a lot of us. It it really takes a team and I would say we need more people because best case scenario would be that we could meet everybody at diagnosis and we just don't have enough people to be able to do that.
1: So you mentioned diagnosis. Is that when you are most likely to get involved or when would you be most likely to enter this medical care for a a kid?
2: I wish that that was when I was most often involved, because um, I just think it's better to for people to get to know that we exist before there's a fire or something happening. Um, it's nice to know that 911 exists before you need it. Um, but there's that often doesn't happen. So usually it's when um, someone on the team recognizes that um a kid is just having a difficulty coping with their diagnosis or just adjusting to it um families might be noticing that their kids are more withdrawn or seem more depressed or more anxious um <clears throat> when steroids come on board um yes, yeah. kids oftentimes have a hard time with their behavior and just like regulating their emotions steroids are awful um so we get a lot of steroids consults um Procedural distress, uh, certainly end of life concerns as well. I mean, it really, really varies. But there's lots of things that we get help with um, for our patients.
0: When are parents told about uh, you as an option? Like when they first get diagnosed, are they? Because they're obviously probably told about their medical team. Are you a part of that process where they where they mention that you know that you we have a psychologist or multiple psychologists? Um, that are on staff and here and available? Or is it when something like you're mentioning the fire comes up and either the medical team or does a parent ask and say, hey, is there anybody on staff that can help? Like, How, how aware are parents of, of your role?
2: I think both happen, honestly. Um, I think everybody knows that sometimes the initial diagnosis can be a huge shock for families. And so they're kind of given an overview of all the people that exist um how much people absorb at the time of diagnosis i'm not really sure so i don't even know that people remember that we exist honestly um but then certainly like i say when any of the team members kind of notice that there's an issue we're always offered as an option to the family um and it's always family's choice to see us or not
1: so Today, let's just talk a little bit about, like, new diagnosis and families in treatment because you and I are going to, we're all going to circle back and talk about survivorship specifically on another episode. Um, can you walk us through just, you said there were many, but just some typical issues that you see that you might be asked to consult with? Yeah.
2: Um, so, you know, when I think about just the initial um, diagnosis. I think of just like the stages of grief, honestly, that families sometimes go through um, of just one, just like the initial shock um, that there's this life-threatening diagnosis or illness. Um, Families can certainly go through some denial, anger, um, bargaining, like maybe this isn't actually happening they can feel depressed and then they can move to some acceptance at some point when you kind of realize, okay, we just have to do this and it's going to be okay. Um, so we can get diagnosed at any, any point within that. Um, but then, like I said, there's also just, There's lots of pokes and sticks and just such a change in your daily routine and your normal life. And that can just be hard to adjust to. So sometimes kids will feel really anxious coming to their medical visits. Families will feel anxious as well. Um, Like I said, they'll have some behavioral issues sometimes. Getting back into school can be a challenge and adjusting this to that and coping with that. Um, We have lots of kids that struggle with hair loss and how do I talk to my friends about that I don't like the way that I look with my hair loss I mean it it is really multifaceted um I would say one interesting thing that people don't always realize that we get consulted for are for our littles our zero to five year olds Um, that's really a critical time of development and you you are having treatment during a very like sensitive period of development. So a lot of what I would do with them is really work on issues around sleep and eating and attachment with caregivers, um, do a lot of like developmental monitoring to make sure that we don't need other ancillary therapies. Um, So we also do a lot with those kids as well. And then finally, um, the other population that I think we oftentimes don't think about um, that we can get consulted for is helping our young adults transition to adult care, um, especially those that have been in our pediatric system for a really long time. Adult care looks totally different. It can be scary. Your parents have always been there for you. When we call the phone, we always talk to parents. um, And that's a totally different world. Um, And that can be anxiety provoking. So we also oftentimes see young people to help them cope with transitioning to adult care.
0: How much of the care that you're providing, is it just the child that's on treatment versus the, because you mentioned family, like the parents, how much time do you spend with the parents or maybe even with siblings? Do you, do you engage with the whole family or are you really just focused on the child on treatment?
2: That's a great question. So our primary focus is the child on treatment, but at the same time, they are in a whole system that impacts them, which is their family. And so I do do a lot of interfacing with parents. A lot of times I need parents buy-in to continue to work on the strategies that we talk to their kids about. Um, And then also siblings are oftentimes kind of the forgotten about family member they they see the least because they come to the hospital the least out of the family all they see is that their siblings seem sick they go to the hospital and they come home with some toys and some candy and some presents and they're like i'm left out and it just seemed like it's fun um and so we really have to do a lot of work to also help families not um, forget about the emotional impact that siblings have as well
0: yeah no that's great what does treatment look like? Like in any one of those different phases you're talking about, you know, you said you zero to five, and then obviously you've got um, the kids between there, and then you mentioned young adult. And, like, how does the, how does the process work? What does it look like? Is it where you're sitting um, with them and their parent, uh, and you're going through, is it, um, is it very hands-on kinetic? Is it more just talking? Like what, is, what does a session look like or a process look like with you?
2: That's a great question. So, um, when we here initially meet families, we meet them on what we call our consult service. So, we meet them during their clinic visits or during their hospital admissions. Um, and so, we are consultant the way in which you would maybe consult pulmonology or endocrinology. Like, we're literally just coming in during your already um, circumscribed medical visit. And so, that looks like first of all, us getting a good thorough history of where you've been up until now, um, but also really partnering with families to figure out what's most distressing for you and how can I meet you in getting that thing better. Um, I think there has to be a lot of prioritizing a lot of times of what we're going to tackle because you're already dealing with so much. You can only change and manage so so many other things at one time, so figuring out like, what's the most distressing? How can we start there? Um, for a lot of our kids, we can target those issues in the context of their medical visits. Like I can give you a couple of sleep strategies and help you get sleep back on track. I can give you a couple like relaxation skills to just help with anxiety in the moment. Um, I can give you a couple of strategies about how to talk to your friends. Like we try to make it really brief and targeted. If we feel like, you know what, we need a more traditional therapy like sit down one-on-one time then we do have a small outpatient therapy clinic here within aflac that we will refer them to to kind of be able to give more space so it really just depends on kind of what their needs are and if we can target that in a very quick
0: way yeah that's awesome. You mentioned, and I imagine most people listening um, could definitely use a tip or two on sleep strategies. What are your What are your quick? Because you mentioned you have a couple quick things, right? Um, when it was either dealing with anxiety or even sleep strategies. What are some tangible things from a sleep um, strategy perspective? So
2: I would say one consistent sleep routines. Um, kids need us in, in a context where there's a lot that's out of your control you will always need sleep. And we can always try to keep your sleep routine the same. So whatever you were doing before, keep doing that. Um, I often tell people to not do anything but sleep in their bed. There are lots of people who will hang out in their bed, relax, they're not feeling well. But our brains need to be able to associate our bed with sleep. And if when we lay down at night, we are our brain is confused it's like are we watching tv are we doing homework are we hanging out are we listening to music you want your brain to see your bed asleep the way that our brain sees a fork and a knife as things we eat with we don't do anything else with that we always eat um so i tell people don't do anything else in your bed but sleep um and then lastly our arch nemesis screen time yeah, um, man. really turning those screens off thirty to sixty minutes before bed will really also help. Um your brain kind of relax and get that blue light out and um, help your brain to sleep. Uh, I should also add that you mentioned anxiety for sleep. I will tell parents to have kids have what we call like scheduled worry time. Because sometimes when you're laying down at night, that's oftentimes the time that your brain like runs and processes and it has time to think about all your worries. So I'll tell them to like Tomorrow at 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about all the things you're worried about. and We're going to just put that on the bookshelf for right now. But right now, we're going to focus on like sleeping. Um, those are probably some of my biggest tips.
0: Yeah, no, those are great. Because I'm trying to think of the parents that are listening. You know, I, I think AFLAC is super fortunate to have you and others on, on your team. I would imagine there's some children's hospitals out there that don't have you on their team. And so I'm trying to think of parents that are out there that are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, this would be amazing to have this resource. So what are some things, what are some tips that we can give them to help them in their home, which I think the sleep strategies are great for parents that are listening and they're having that challenge with their kids and getting them consistent. You've just given them some really great tools. Are there other consistent uh, you know, challenges that you are uh, working on with these kids and these families like the sleep stuff that could be some other tips, uh, for parents, uh, that, that is a common challenge.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's lots of common challenges. I think one um, is parents really struggle with setting limits and boundaries when their kids when they are sick. Yeah. Um, I think everybody feels bad and they feel sorry for what they see their kids already going through, and they let them get away with a lot of things um, while on treatment. Um, and I like validate that. I normalize that. That is a thing. Um, but I also Tell parents that you are parenting for the twenty-year-old, the thirty-year-old, the forty-year-old who needs to know that like limits and boundaries and consequences were a thing. Yeah, don't lose that. Um, A lot of times, parents will come to Survivor Clinic and they will have like let all behavioral strategies go out the window, and they're like help, and I'm like, (laughs) yes, I can try to help you, but that's going to be a lot of work. Um, So really, just like helping normalize parents that you can still be a parent even though your kid is on and they need that actually they they, they will push you because they need that yeah. um i think that that's a huge one um i also just think that sometimes people just have a hard time with relating to other people in their families in their communities their friends who have no idea what it's like um to have a child with cancer um and i have to do a lot of talking people up to ask for what you need. And even if sometimes you don't know what you need, tell people that too. Um, it's really hard to relate to people when they don't get um, yeah. what this experience is like.
1: That was the best The best advice I ever got when Carter was first diagnosed was from a doctor who said what you said about the behavior. He was throwing a little fit in the hospital room because we beat him at a game. Because my husband and I, we... We did never let our kids win <laughs> with those kind of parents. We had beat him and he threw his steroids like kicked in and there was this fit. And he and I, Eric and I were just standing there like we don't know what to do with this. And the doctor kind of witnessed it. And he said, we're going to take care of the medical stuff. But the kind of kid you end up with in three years, that that's going to be on you. So you have to really take some time and think, who, who do you want at the end of this treatment and it was super early on, and I've been so grateful for it because you're right instinctively you feel bad, but this treatment is long for a lot of people and that's yeah. it's a long time to let things go and I'm also really loving the idea of a scheduled worry time I think I might in- implement <laughs> that honestly for real i that is a good strategy for yeah. Like everyone. absolutely. Because who doesn't lay down at night? Maybe, I mean, I don't think it's just me. Lay down at night and have all the things whirling through your head. So when you're meeting with these kids, are they pretty open to talking to you about this stuff? Is there? Do they have any resistance to getting help like this? Some people
2: are and some people aren't. Um, some, for some people, avoidance feels protective and feels more safe um but we see it spilling out in other ways and so again i think that's where like partnering with people with where they are and where they're wanting to target and wanting to um kind of focus on like if i can get you a little bit of success then you might trust me enough to do some of these other hard things but if i come in and i tell you to do the hardest thing and we're going to work on that first, you're going to be like, no, you're crazy. Um, So I really try to look for quick wins to try to motivate people to want to to continue going and, like, change other things for themselves. Um, I also think there's a lot of stigma around mental health. um, And people's perceptions that seeing a psychologist means that I'm crazy or there's something wrong with me. And that is so far from the truth. But I think and I think society is normalizing getting mental health support more, but it's still stigmatized. Um, And oftentimes, I'm the first time you've ever met a psychologist in your life. So that is certainly something that we have to work through and try to give you a good experience. My job, even if I'm not going to be your therapist, my job is to give you a good enough experience with a psychologist to make you feel like oh I want to do that again Um, and if I do that then I feel like I have done my job Um, and, and lastly I think that some people want to talk but there are lots of just like societal barriers around access to mental health support depending on where you live I think in Atlanta we're fortunate there's lots of rural parts of Georgia where there just aren't a lot of access. Um, Language barriers. There aren't a lot of multilingual speakers that do um, therapy. Um, So there's lots of other kind of like barriers, even when people want support to be able to help them get there.
1: So can I ask you, there are a lot of easier specialties, in my opinion, than working with kids and their families when they're going through cancer treatment. Um, And it's obvious that you're really passionate about what you do. But can you just like, why did you pick this?
2: That's a great question. Um, I always loved the medical side of things, but I always liked talking to people. And I think that this gives me a happy marriage of both of those things. I'm not responsible for saving your life, but I can help you while you're fighting for your life. Um, I feel incredibly privileged and honored that people let me walk with them on the hardest journey of their life. Um, I think you know, patient, pediatric patients or anybody, but especially kids, having to think about your own mortality is huge. And I just feel so honored that people let me be with them and like, get in their life and like get in the the ugly and the pretty stuff and like walk with them. That's an honor um, for me. And I am always amazed by people's strength and resilience during this process. Um, I'd say lastly, it also just like helps me keep things in perspective. When I leave a family and I see just how hard and taxing and exhausted that they feel, I'm like, Nadir, your issues, like they matter, but like in the grand scheme of things, you're doing okay. Um, and it really helps me kind of keep my day-to-day worries in perspective.
0: That's awesome. Well, Dr. Upshar, you are not only a super smart lady, you have the personality that is just easy to connect with and talk with. So I can see why what you do and how you do it is so successful with the kids because yeah, you just, you, you make it easy to connect with. Um, yeah. So thank you for joining us. We're really glad to have had you for this episode. I know we get you on another one, but I think this was super helpful for our parents. So thanks for sharing all those great insights. And, uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: I told you she was incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Every time we have those conversations with the brilliant minds that are working so hard for our kids, I'm just blown away and super encouraged. I'm so thankful that we have people like Dr. Upshaw helping our kids and our families that are going through childhood cancer.
0: Yeah, she is super smart and an incredible, incredible personality and just compassionate um, just to be able to listen, you can just connect with her. Yeah, the way that you, the way that she can talk with her. Um, thankfully, we've got another conversation coming up with her, and we're going to share that with you guys soon. Um, but just remember, if you want to know when that comes out, if you subscribe. Uh, to the podcast it'll notify you when that next episode comes out so please make sure you go out and do that so you don't miss
1: and while you're at it we would also really love if you could rate and review us so that more people will see our show and tune in
0: that's right so we'll see you guys next week thanksgiving week for the next podcast see you later